morning again, and our topic today is giving up entitlement. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 1 to 23. Let me lead us in prayer as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrificial love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now that through your word you would be changing our hearts, that we may have a giving, serving heart, just like him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many have observed that our society is feeling even more entitled than ever before. Our previous generations lived through the World Wars, uh, the Great Depression, uh, the Spanish Flu, and so on. Uh, life was often very hard. You, you counted your blessings and you worked hard for what you had. But until COVID-19 arrived, throwing our world into chaos, many of us have enjoyed greater health and security and prosperity than any generation before us. And this has led to increasing feelings of entitlement. Not only have we come to expect all of the blessings that we have, but we've come to demand them as our rights. And we get very unhappy when we don't get what we think we're entitled to. I wonder if you saw the, the story in the news of the, the maskless Karen. Uh, it was all over social media. She was a Caucasian uh, lady named Kerry. She refused to wear a face mask to enter a shopping mall, and uh, she caused a big stir uh, when she was refused entry. Uh, later, she was fined 3,000 ringgit for breaking the law, but she put this video on social media as her response. Quote, Our song is freedom. Freedom to choose what we eat, where we go, who we go with, and what we do to our bodies, medically or otherwise. It's a choice, your choice, my choice. A man who does not know his rights has no rights. We are free. And these days, everything is a right. A right to be not offended, a right to marry who I want, a, a right to go to a shopping mall without my mask on, and so on. And in the pursuit of rights, the danger is that we become increasingly selfish and self-focused, unable to suffer, unable to serve others, unable to sacrifice things for the sake of others, but simply to stand on what is good for me. But to such a culture of entitlement that has seeped into the very air we breathe, today's passage is a radical wake-up call. Because it presents us with the gospel view of the Christian life. A life that is so different to the entitled culture around us. A view where we give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. What well, we saw uh, last time in chapter 8 that Paul is addressing various topics that the Corinthians have asked him about in a letter. And in particular, we're looking at the issue of food sacrifice to idols. Uh, food sacrificed to idols was all over Corinth. It was in the markets, it was in the dining halls, the restaurants, it was in friends' houses. The question was, could Christians eat it? And some in the congregation thought the answer was yes, and others said no, and, and so the church was divided. And in chapter 8, Paul gave a number of principles. Firstly, we need love and not just knowledge. Just because you know something is permitted doesn't mean that you can ignore its effects on others. Secondly, we know that an idol has no real existence, so therefore there's nothing intrinsically wrong 
with eating food sacrificed to idols. However, thirdly, because there are some with a weak conscience in the congregation who through their, their, their former association with idols still felt that eating such food was wrong, we should give up our rights rather than stumble our brother with a weak conscience. Because fourthly, the gospel teaches us to serve others and not just think about ourselves. Following Jesus means up giving up our freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Now, it's that final point that Paul expands on here in chapter 9. Now, we must understand that this chapter on giving up our rights is not disconnected from uh, the topic of food sacrifice to idols. We've, we've seen throughout this letter that Paul loves to use this kind of sandwich structure where the topic in the middle, though it seems unrelated, actually gives the key principle, uh, or, yeah, yeah, key principle to address the theme that is in the bread on the outside. In this case... The key idea that we must grasp is that of giving up our rights for the sake of the gospel. And Paul presents himself as an example to follow. Well, Paul begins the chapter by reminding the Corinthians of his own freedoms and rights as an apostle. Have a look at verse 1. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now the answer Paul expects to each of those questions is, yes, he is free. Now, he is an apostle. He has seen Jesus. It seems that there were some in Corinth who had been questioning his authority as an apostle. Perhaps they were saying, oh, Paul, well, he wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't there at Pentecost. But Paul insists that he is a genuine apostle. He meets the prime qualification. He's seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared to him on the Damascus road. Because that is the, the qualification for being an apostle in Acts chapter 1. And it's also the reason why those who call themselves apostles today aren't really apostles at all. But even if others had been questioning Paul's apostleship, the Corinthians certainly shouldn't have. Because they had become Christians through his very ministry. He had planted the church in Corinth. And so Paul defends his rights as an apostle in verse 3. Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and, and Kephas? That's, that's another name for Peter. So Paul reminds them of his rights. The fact that he's an apostle, that doesn't mean he's, he's given up the right to be fed or to get married or, or so on. Note that once again Paul expects that if we, we do marry, that we will marry a believer. If he's going to marry, he's going to bring, bring along a believing wife. And Paul reminds them he has every right, like Peter, to, to be married and to bring his believing wife with him on his missionary journeys. And as he does so, to, to be provided for by the church. But the Corinthians have been denying him those rights. In verse 6, he says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Paul's Paul saying, as an apostle preaching the Lord Jesus, Paul had every right to receive an income from those he was ministering to. 
After all, that was the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll see in a moment. Throughout the book of Acts, Paul, of course, he, he worked with his hands to support his own ministry. But he didn't have to do that. It's an accepted principle, isn't it, that in the world at large, that the workers should get paid for their work. He, he reminds us in verse 7, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? You see what he's saying? Those who preach the gospel as their full-time job, they shouldn't have to work another job as well. They should be able to, to, to give themselves fully to the work. But Paul appears here not just to common sense, but to God's word. He, he goes back to the Old Testament law in verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Remember in the ancient world, the ox would pull this, this great millstone round and round and round to, to crush the grain and to make flour. And Paul reminds them that, that the Old Testament law required that the ox be fed as it worked, that there would be no muzzle on its mouth, so that as it went around, it could eat the fruit of its labor. And Paul sees in that, that law a wider principle that is more broadly applicable. So he continues in verse 9. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Now, Paul's not saying here that God doesn't care about animals. I mean, God created animals. But his point is this. If God is concerned for oxen, then he'll put our law in in, in the Old Testament law, how much does, more does he care for people? For those who preach the gospel? See, as an apostle who was preaching the gospel to them, Paul had every right to receive material support. If an ox has that right, surely he the apostle of the Lord Jesus. Now, if the argument from everyday life and from uh, from the ox wasn't persuasive enough, Paul gives a, a third argument in verse 13. He says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? So now he goes to the religious sphere, and he, rem he reminds them, in the Old Testament law, the priests and the Levites, they got their food from the tabernacle, from the temple. They worked for God, and as they did, their material provision was taken care of by the people. And that wasn't just in the Old Testament times. Verse 14, he says, In the same way, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Remember when Jesus sent out the 72 to, to, to preach the kingdom in the surrounding towns. He said this in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, before he sent them off. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. So Paul's argument here is that those who preach the gospel should get their income from the gospel. And, and that principle is applicable today as it was then. 
We should pay those who've given up secular work to minister among us. Those who devote themselves to, to leading and preaching and counselling and evangelism and so on. And, and, and they're working hard at it. Uh, we, we should be giving generously to the church. And not just to support the various ministries that we're involved in, but to support the ministers. So that they are free to, to give themselves fully to the good work that they are doing. And I think that applies not just in church, but also in, in other contexts as well. Let's say, for example, that you're benefiting from a parachurch ministry, maybe like a KVBC or Explain Apologetics or something like that, or maybe you regularly listen to a Christian podcast. It's entirely right to financially support those who lead those ministries so that they can give themselves fully to the work, so the gospel can go out and they can still provide for their families. And so we should uh, listen to what Paul is saying here. We should stop and think for a moment. Who is ministering the gospel to me? Which people or, or ministries are preaching God's word to me? And we should give generously to support them. So Paul's freedoms and rights is point one. But, but Paul doesn't bring up the issue of his rights because he wants to claim them. Paul's not giving a, a, you know, a not-so-subtle suggestion to the Corinthians. I need you to give me a bit more money. Now, some churches do that, don't they? And, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not doing that either right now, uh, either. Uh, Paul talks about his rights, not because he intends to claim them, because, but because he wants to teach us how Christians should give up their rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, so Paul gives two reasons from his own example why instead of holding on to our rights, we should be willing to give them up. The first reason is so that we won't hinder the gospel. So that we won't hinder the gospel. Have a look at verse 12. He says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, this right to material support, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. See, Paul would, would rather give up his right to support, to embrace a life of suffering and uncertainty, than hinder the gospel message he's preaching. And Paul thinks that asking for material support from the church will indeed hinder his gospel ministry. Now, he doesn't say exactly how here. Uh, the most likely reason is that uh, because the, the travelling orators of Paul's day would, would go around speaking and asking for money in return. And so if Paul himself uh, asked for material support uh, in return for his gospel preaching, it, it would seem as though he was just preaching the gospel for money, rather than because it was true. It, it would cast a cloud on his motives. Uh, receiving the money, you see, would, it might compromise people's trust, in the message he was preaching. Now, the gospel is a message of God's free grace to unworthy sinners. And Paul wanted to preach it for free. He was willing to give up his right for support rather than hinder the gospel. Now he spells it out a little bit more in verses 15 to 18. Have a look at verse 15. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. 
for I would rather die than to have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul wants to be proud that he preaches the gospel for free. Now, that might sound like a slightly strange thing to say, isn't it? Let's try and understand what he means. He's not boasting about his preaching itself, as though his preaching somehow earned him merit before God or others. He knew that he had no choice in preaching the gospel. Look at verse 16. He says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Remember when Paul encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus road and he was converted, at that very same time the Lord Jesus commissioned him to preach the gospel to the nations. It's what he was saved for. It was his, by necessity his mission. So for Paul to reject his commission to preach the gospel, it would be tantamount for him to rejecting Jesus himself. I guess that's why he says here, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul has to preach. That is his, his duty. He's been entrusted with this stewardship from Jesus and he's accountable to Jesus for his ministry. He must preach. But Paul wants to do more than simply discharge his duty. He wants to go above and beyond. Verse 17, he says this, For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. See, Paul has to preach, but by willingly, joyfully, offering the gospel for free, well, then he has a reward. Why? Because it's clear he's doing it from the heart. He's not doing it for money. He's doing it because he loves Jesus. Verse 18, what then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. See, by preaching the gospel for free, Paul proves that he really wants to do it. He, he's doing it out of a heart that's being transformed, a, a heart that's full of love for Jesus, a, a heart that wants to serve others because the message is true and the message brings life. He abandons his right to material support, even though he needs it. Because that will show how much he loves the gospel and how much he loves Jesus. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's beautiful. In a world where we so often fight for our rights, Paul willingly and joyfully gives them up. He gives up good things even things that he has a right to, in order that he might better serve the gospel. Well, how do we apply this to ourselves today? I don't think this means that all gospel ministers everywhere should be bivocational and give up being paid, you know, so that churches shouldn't give money to their pastors. It's the opposite of what he just said in point one, isn't it? Now, elsewhere, of course, Paul did joyfully receive support from the Philippians and thanked God for it. But what Paul models is this. Christians who love Jesus and the gospel, they will be willing, where necessary, to give up good things in love for others and for the sake of the gospel. 
I think it's worth checking our motives. Why are we serving the Lord Jesus? Are we doing it so that we can get something for ourselves? Getting honour or approval or even money? Or are we serving because we love Jesus and we love the gospel? Well, in verses 19 to 23, Paul gives a second reason why he's willing to give up his rights. And, and that is so that others may be saved. So that others may be saved. Look at verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, that is, I'm not paid by anyone, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul's actions in any and every situation is governed by the gospel need of those around him. He's always thinking, how can I serve others so that I can win them to Christ? And if anything's going to get in the way, he's willing to give it up, or he's willing to change. He explains this principle in verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that's Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means... I might save some. Now, notice how Paul sees his identity here. Not Jewish, not Gentile, but as a Christian. Oh, of course, Paul was ethnically Jewish, but what defined him was not his race, or his gender, or his age, or his status, or any other marker, but his relationship with the Lord Jesus. And because Paul was clear on his identity as a Christian, what that meant was that, that Paul could be very flexible as he reached out to others. Verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So if eating like a Gentile would be a problem to the Jews that he was evangelizing, Paul was willing to give up his right and absorb, uh, observe the food laws. If he had to observe the Sabbath, or he had to wash as he went into the temple or the synagogue, then he was happy to do it. He didn't have to, because as a Christian, he was no longer under the Old Testament law. He was under the law of Christ. But he was willing to give up his Christian freedom, to, to put aside his rights for the sake of the gospel that he might win Jews to Christ. And he was similarly flexible for the Gentiles as well. Look at verse 21. To those outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So if living like a Jew would be a problem to those he was ministering to, he was happy to flex the other way as well. Perhaps with how he dressed, or what he spoke, the language he spoke, or what he ate. He was willing to eat pork, or eat with Gentiles, and so on. He was willing to live like a Gentile as much as obedience to Christ's law would allow, to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now notice here that, that just because Paul is not under the Old Testament law anymore, it doesn't mean that he can just live however he likes. He's, he's not advocating a lawless existence. He does say he's under the law of Christ, the law of, law of love for others. And so we mustn't misunderstand these verses. He's willing to flex on matters of freedom, but, but he won't flex at all on matters of righteousness. He doesn't say here, look, become a prostitute in order to reach prostitutes, or become a Hindu to reach Hindus, and so on. There are some things that are clearly right or wrong, things that will stop you from entering the kingdom of God. He's listed all those in chapter 6. But so long as he's not disobeying God, he's willing to be flexible in every way for the sake of others. Then he won't hinder them from hearing the gospel. Then he might win them to Christ. Verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You see what was Paul's controlling goal? He would give up anything within the realm of Christian freedom if it would help others to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see his heartbeat? Paul longed to see people know Jesus. It was more important than his own comfort, his own preferences. It was more important than his rights and his freedoms. He would rather, he would joyfully experience hardship, suffering, uncertainty, inconvenience, if it meant that he could bring more people to know Jesus. Is that your heartbeat? Do you love the lost like Paul does? Are you willing to do whatever you can, even at great cost to yourself? To see friends, neighbours, those around you, one to Christ. See, Paul's following the example of the Lord Jesus, isn't he? Jesus who himself gave up everything, left the glories of heaven, died naked on a cross who took the wrath of God for our sins so that he might bring us forgiveness and life. Jesus gave up his rights joyfully, willingly, to win lost people like you and me. Well, at the start we reflected on how we live in an age of entitlement. It's all about claiming my rights, demanding my blessings, even at the expense of others. A culture that's fixated on me and my needs now. And we've seen how different a gospel mindset is. Not clinging to our rights, but willingly, joyfully giving them up for the sake of others, that they may be saved. Well, I was thinking, what may that look like for us? Are we willing to give up our preference of music style for the sake of others? Our preference of liturgy? Are we willing to serve in a ministry that's outside our comfort zone? Are we willing to reach out to people that are different to us, a different race or a different culture? Are we willing to change where we live? Or change our work if it will help us better serve the gospel? Are we willing to be all things 
to all people, if we might save some. Of course, this kind of sacrificial serving lifestyle is not going to come easy, is it? Because our sinful human hearts are intent on serving self. We'll only do this if our hearts have been changed by the gospel of grace. As like Paul, we, we recognise that Christ gave up his rights and freedoms for us. So let me invite you this week to, to spend some time to, to reflect again on the cross of the Lord Jesus. To, to think of how he died for you, that you could be saved. And spend a moment to think, not how you can get what you want in life, but how you can give others what they need. How you can help others hear the gospel and be saved. Even if it means you have to give up your rights, give up your freedoms. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. That he gave up his rights, that he left the glories of heaven to die for us on the cross. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the wonderful example of the Apostle Paul, who showed us what it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus, not demanding our rights, but giving them up to serve the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts, that we too may be people who do not demand, but people who give. We pray that you would allow the salvation of souls to be the heartbeat of our life, the purpose of our existence, more important to us than everything else. And we do pray, Lord, that you would use us to save some. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.